Coming to you from the long-running music review website, adobeandteardrops.com. Both got hooked on the sweet temptation. Bringing you all of the amazing music that you're missing. I found my peace hidden in the story. My death will hold no need for mourning. From New York to Florida and all around the world, Rachel and Vaughn bring you the Adobe and Teardrops podcast. Both got hooked on the sweet temptation. Some ethical final destination. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 109. This is coming out a little bit later than I had planned. Because, uh, as you can see, this episode's pretty long. I got to interview Fred LeBlanc of Cowboy Mouth. And uh, that is definitely like a bucket list item of mine when I started the blog almost 10 years ago. So it is a pretty long interview, but that is also because there's no band I know more about <laughs> than Cowboy Mouth. You'll hear a little bit more about why they mean so much to me later on. But for now, we've got a lot of beautiful, beautiful music out this week that I'm super excited about. So we're going to start off with Brian Fallon's new album, Local Honey. As most of you know, he is the former lead singer of Gaslight Anthem. And to me, this is the best album he's done so far. And he's really like moved away from the Gaslight Anthem sound, but in a way that feels really authentic and truthful. And it's just so like peaceful and contemplative. And I think it's exactly the music we need to hear right now. We're going to start with You Have Stolen My Heart from Local Honey. Patreon listeners, you're going to hear Horses by Brian Fallon. I don't know if you know, but I feel you in me. Inside of my ears, inside of my bones I remember the colors In your mysterious eyes Part of me stays in the room where we met And everything slows in my breath As I watch you fall across the floor In the night Came as it went I could swear that I knew you before And maybe on another night We were lovers in another life Or maybe we were only strangers On mystery trains You were only a ghost that is stolen my heart If I knew you before Feel like I had enough time on my hands I know that you're with me Still I have this fear One day I wake up, you'll be a dream Cause everything slows in my breath I watch you fall across the floor In the night 
like maybe on another night we were lovers in another life maybe we were always strangers on mystery trains you were only a ghost that has stolen my
someone out there you can rely on Always be there waiting for you Leaving that light on Some places I'm a rock star Some places well unknown There's always a neon light calling me back home There's always someone out there waiting on me There'll always be the very last one to leave Well, I said, ooh, hey, bartender, don't shut us down Once or twice Kinda hard not to When they serve you And they gotta be nice Best cure for any heartache Anywhere I found It's a beautiful bartender Serving you a shot of crown There's always someone out there Waiting on me I'll always be The very last one to leave I said, ooh Hey, bartender Don't shut us down Ooh Hey, bartender How about another? I've sailed with the captain, I've flown with the gray goose Drank the champagne of beers, and I've toasted with Vuv Whether it's Johnny, Jack, or Jim, or Mr. Jameson We'll be doing a little drinking, a lot of hell raising Someone out there waiting on me I'll always be the very last one to leave Well, I said, ooh, hey, bartender, don't shut us down
After Brian Fallon, you got Lily Hyatt's Some Kind of Drug. Patreon listeners, you heard Candy Lunch from her new album, Walking Proof. I love this album from what I've heard of it so far. It's definitely her best one yet. I was not crazy about Trinity Lane, I think it was called, the previous album. We did get to see Lily Hyatt open for Margot Price for New Year's Eve last year. And to be honest, I bought the album, but uh, it's still in its shrink wrap. So this is a very welcome change, in my opinion. She's doing a lot more with exploring her genre and making like a bigger studio sound and also really changing her approach to singing. And I love it. After that was Julie Nolan, who I discovered through the website Country Queer. We started with Hey Bartender, because I thought we might need a funnier song. And Patreon listeners also heard Battleground, which definitely brought the mood down a little bit. I'm thinking of doing a a live stream at some point coming up. I'll let you know once we iron the details out, but uh, I've heard from a lot of people who say they're in, so I'm stoked to get everybody involved and stoked to tell you who all is in. But I guess I just want to say that I find a lot of comfort in those shows in ways I, like, I'm not expecting to, you know? Uh, I've dreamed about concerts for, like, at least three nights this week, and I didn't realize how much I missed live music until it was, you know, an option I could no longer have, especially considering how many concerts I've, like, skipped or passed because they were too far away and it was a school night or I was just tired. So I am looking forward to jumping on every opportunity I get in the next couple months to go see music I love in person. And if this guy makes it up to New York, I'll be excited to see him. I picked out, or I learned about Tyler Lance Walker Gill, calls himself a man of many names, uh, from Karen Pittleman of Karen and the Sorrow. She tweeted about this song, So-Called Christian Politicians. And somehow that song has become even more relevant in the last two weeks since I first heard it. So... A little more about Tyler Lance Walker Gill. He's definitely embraced the outlaw country thing with like braids and everything else. Um, He describes himself as being born with a plastic spoon in his mouth in Bullet, Kentucky. And now he's in Lexington. So we'll start with so-called Christian politicians. And then Patreon listeners, you'll get to hear a more traditional country song of his called The Ghost that I think sort of exemplifies everything wonderful about classic country. It's time we talked I want to talk about your followers Who never really learned to walk the walk Lord, please bless us people in Kentucky You know that we mean well But these so-called Christian politicians Are gonna drag us all to hell Hey, I know it's been a minute Since I picked up that old Bible myself But the way these things are going's got me blowing off the dust from that old 
these so-called Christian politicians Well, they don't think that way no more Nowadays it's profit over people Ain't that a crying shame? They lie and cheat and kill and steal All in Jesus' name They're praying all believers And they're buying what they sell Yeah. 
after Tyra Lance Walker Gill, you heard Harmony Burn with Good Idea, which is a single. Harmony is a former Mormon youth leader from Melbourne, and you can sort of hear a lot of that history with her in her wonderful Cosmic Country songs. After that was Nick Bowen with Helpless Here, also kind of like a psychedelic sort of feel. Patreon listeners, you also heard Missing You, and both were from Nick's album that came out a couple weeks ago called A Moment in Time. I also played his music before. He used to perform under the name Nick Raug, so you can find more of his music under that name, but I just love the way he uses his falsetto on these songs. Another thing I encourage you all to think about as we are moving into like week two or three of this whole situation is your local comic book store. I know everyone's got to sort of keep an eye on their wallet right now, but if you do have a few extra bucks, please like order something online, look up the local comic book store closest to you and see if you can get them to deliver something to you because the main distributor, which is really the only distributor of comic books in the United States, basically sent an email to all of the comic book stores and was like, well, we're just uh, not going to distribute comics to you. We're just like closing up shop. So good luck. And the letter said, this is a great time for you all to be creative. And also, we'll extend credit to you when things come back online so you can go into debt to buy comics that we withheld from you. Uh, It's just insane. And if I was a comic book store owner and got that letter, I would be so mad. So I'm just going to put a plug in because most of those stores are really on the knife's edge anyway. But, you know, my students were asking me if things were going to get worse. And all I could say was yes. Find some way to help out a local business you love. Find a way to get involved in a mutual aid network. Probably your local bar has a GoFundMe for their staff. Um, You know, do what you can to preserve the places you love. In a way, that does relate to this next song, American Writer, by Mike Blair and the Stonewalls, which is a, a really fascinating character study. Mike Blair and the Stonewalls are from Wilmington, North Carolina. Mike Blair started the band in 2010, but now he's got a whole new lineup. They're cranking out more songs, and he cites his influences as Dawes, Tom Petty, and Ray Lamont. I can never say that dude's name. Lamontaine. So, yeah, I definitely hear all that, and I love the detail in these lyrics. So, hope you appreciate it, too. This is a sing.
old sound Wake up in the morn, go to bed at night It's the same old thing, another day in the life Same old thing, another day in the life Tea in my cup, got trouble in my head I wish I could boil my thoughts instead Goodbye liquor and hello sunshine When I die someday, I'ma feel just fine Die someday, I'ma feel just fine Zone. I don't like this world, I'ma make up my own You can come too if you're feeling down We can write this story, we can run this town Write this story, we can run this town I'm just picking on strings, other hand on the neck And my mouth keeps moving, got my eyes on the frets Thinking if I write that one track down I'ma be somebody someday, somehow Be somebody someday, somehow Same old thing another day in the life When I die someday, I'ma feel just fine Write this story, we can run this down We can be somebody someday, somehow Be somebody someday, somehow After Mike Blair, you heard Five Minute Face by Susie Kism. Susie hails from Nevada, but she's bounced between Nashville and LA. And you can hear that kind of mix of uh, whimsy and vulnerability on this song. So I was really into it. After that was a sort of nice little jaunty song by Michael Saunier called Somebody Someday Somehow, also a single. Saunier has pivoted from rap to folk in recent years. But you can hear that sense of flow and wordplay in somebody, someday, somehow. And when he's not playing, he's building houses out of recycled plastic in Nova Scotia with his dad's company, which sounds really cool. All right, here is our big, uh, big long interview. Cowboy Mouth has been around since 1990. They're putting out a brand new EP called Open Wide. So we'll start before we go into the interview with Kiss the Baby, because that's the song we talk about the most. They re-recorded this song, and Fred talks a little bit about why, but you know whether or not you've ever listened to Cowboy Mouth before, the band's super important to me. Uh, the community that rose around the band, this was like in the early days of message boards and before uh, artists had to protect their brand by not having them. Um, I met so many amazing people around the country who were role models to me because Cece and I were in middle school and when we met them and yeah, it's just lovely to still be able to come together. It's been a long time since I've been to a Cowboy Mouth concert just because I haven't really played in New York or, you know, places you can get to through public transportation, but hopefully that'll change soon. So they were the first rock concert I ever went to. It was like right after 9-11 we talk about Cowboy Mouth's song, The Avenue, which is about you know, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And I'll play us out on that one. Uh, that's a song that I really need to hear right now, being in New York City, 
which somehow has become the epicenter of all of this. And uh, the song sort of felt really important to me when I was listening to it again while I was editing. I think that even if you're not super familiar with their music, this will be interesting to you because we talk a lot about uh, stuff, the business of music, politics within bands, how to keep any kind of project going for decades. And also the sort of trajectory the band itself has had. They were almost famous, <laughs> literally. And then the floor kind of came out from under them. But I think you'll hear from the songs that I ask and Cece and my friend Joanne. I invited like the people from the message boards I'm still in touch with to join in on the Q&A. Uh, I think you can hear how important the band has been to all of us. So as you listen to the interview, go, I would say actually first, Go find Cowboy Mouth's live albums. I think that'll tell you a bit more about what they're all about before jumping into any of their recorded stuff. And then next week, I'm going to interview John Thomas Griffith, one of the other founding members of Cowboy Mouth. And again, that interview will be a lot shorter. But again, uh, I think it's worth listening to both of them because it's not often that you get to hear from two different people in a band and the different things that both Fred and JTG have to say are really fascinating. So let's get into this with Kiss the Baby from Cowboy Mouth's new EP, Open Wide. You'll hear Fred and Cece and Joan and I talk for about an hour, and then I'll play you out on the avenue. Before we do that, if you want to send me music, you can still do that through SubmitHub. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can drop me a tip through my coffee jar or sign up for the Patreon. You get to record the podcast with me. You get to uh, get extra music. I'm going to start thinking about other ways to get y'all involved with the interviews now that uh, I'm being asked to do a lot of them. If Also for this month, all of the earnings are going to go to Tornado Relief in Nashville because that happened right before there was a global pandemic. So anything from the Kofi, anything from the Patreon, everything from Submit Hub, it's going to be around $100, but it's all going to go to Nashville. And if you are already donating to me through those things and you want to find another cause to donate to, a Jewish organization called Never Again Action is working to raise money to free people on bond from ICE detention camps. They're not being given hand soap. They're not being given much information about what's happening. We need to get people out of their even if there wasn't a pandemic. So there's a link in the show notes, helping raise $1,800. We're so close to my goal. We've already gotten 10 people out. We can get another 10 before this thing is through. So thanks for listening. In music we trust, in music we believe. Clock starts in the morning. It's time to rise and go to work. The phone calls come in a jingling, lingy man. It can't get any worse. Now my pillow is soft and my lover is warm. Here is where I really wanna stay. I'll hit the snooze button just one time, long enough to hear me say, "Come on and kiss the baby bye bye." Please don't make the baby cry cry. I got to know how much you want me But the way you torture, tease and taunt me Come on and 
kiss the baby bye-bye Please don't make the baby cry-cry Now she doesn't want to wake up too easy To me staring her straight up in the eye I'm pushing on her shoulder, whining like a pup She says something about me being such a guy Now my honey bunny's job don't require the presence Till some time around nine or ten Maybe she could be my sugar mama I'm hitting the snooze button again Come on and kiss the baby bye-bye Please don't make the baby cry-cry I got to know how much you want me But the way you torture, tease, and taunt me Come on and kiss the baby bye-bye Please don't make the baby cry-cry I got to know how much you miss me But the way you show you wanna kiss me Kiss the baby bye-bye Please don't make the baby cry-cry A moment of temporary pleasure There's a moment without another measure Come on! And kiss the baby bye-bye Thanks so much for taking the time today uh, to like chat with me, Ed. I didn't know if you wanted to the cover. Yeah, this is Rachel. This is Rachel. <laughs> is this Rachel? It sure is. Hi, Rachel. I'm Fred. How are you? <laughs> Good to meet you. Good to meet you, Tim. Is yeah. this Rachel's sister, CC? Uh, I turned her mic off, and I can turn it back on. <laughs> nice. Man, All what right. an awful power that must be. You need to do that to your little sister? Anytime she starts... <laughs> Expressing an opinion, just chop, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's only two minutes younger than me, so I feel like we have a pretty egalitarian uh, relationship. Y'all have that kind of strange, like, twin language thing? We all can read each other's minds and stuff? Uh, we never did that, but we definitely can finish each other's sentences. And Are y'all identical or just... Yes, uh, uh, yeah, we're identical. Um, uh, and we've been uh, going to Cowboy Mouth concerts since we were, like, what, 14, I think? 13? Wait, I think I know you guys. No, yeah, we've been going since we were like 10, maybe 11. Yeah. We're the redheads in New York. Oh, All right. I know you guys. Oh, really? Oh. Hi, we, how are y'all doing? <laughs> we weren't always able to stay after the concerts to say hi because you tended to play on school nights. 
and uh, our parents would have to take us because the venues kept moving like the you know the football in terms of like the age limits so by the time oh, we were yeah. 16 it had to be 18 plus and then by the time well, we were 18 yeah now it's great now it's great because like people like most of the venues we play people bring their kids and you know it's like so you have these parents bringing their kids and and you know they let the kids in as long as the parents are there yeah it works for us so there you go you know i mean uh you've been touring for almost 30 years now right 25 yeah. no 30 uh, 30 years this october <laughs> what <laughs> um so i think it's safe to say you've seen a lot of uh changes in the music business and <laughs> i have played every Understatement of the century. I have played every conceivable kind of gig known to mankind. Cowboy Mouth has played to 150,000 people and kicked the hell out of them. And we played to an audience of one person and kicked the hell out of them. And every variation in the friggin' tween. We've played every single gig that you can play without being the Beatles or something like that, you know? I mean, Jazz Fest is a pretty huge crowd, so... Like that was like, that was one of the biggest crowds we played to was when we played uh, before Dave Matthews, I think it was 98, 97. And I think, I think the number that day was 150. And we played to, uh, before Aerosmith um, year before last. And I think it was like the number was 120. And, but I mean, we played lots of festivals besides like you know jazz fest where we played huge huge numbers too it's uh it's you know it's pretty you know we've been very very blessed in 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 spite of making every every known wrong business decision that you can make you know in this in this job and in this life um we've done pretty well so i can't really complain yeah so now you've got this new ep coming out celebrating uh the 20th anniversary of Jenny Says uh, yep. and a couple of other new songs out there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that? How do you feel about singing it? Because I feel like it, you've I probably it. sung it in all kinds of emotional spaces. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the funny thing about that song is, you know, I actually wrote that when I was in another band called Dash Rip Rock in um, the 1980s. Uh, late 1980s, Dash Rip Rock was a kind of a, a punk rock like they used to call us the Sex Pistols meets George Jones, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it was really just a really uh, a, a piss and vinegar kind of thing. It was, it was a really good band, but we were such assholes, you know, because we were good and we knew it. And it was like, all right, take that, <laughs> you know, and um, but we made a real mark on you know the southeast and northeast scenes for the time, and then I quit. Then they actually had a radio hit with a novelty song called Let's Go Smoke Some Pot. Right. And, uh, you know, they're still around in, in various forms and stuff. But, um, you know, I quit around 89, 90 because I wanted to have my own band. And it was difficult to get songs through that band. And, you know, I was still young. And Dash, as, 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 as excellent of a band as it was, and I say that as a fan because I was really, you know, I, I was blown away, not at how good we were, but how powerful the, uh, the entity was, you know, and it's sometimes you got to stand away, step away from something to realize that it was actually 
a pretty potent mixture. And I was like, wow, that's, that was really something. <laughs> but at the same time we toured relentlessly like banshees. And by the time I got out of that band, I felt like I'd been to like, you know, war <laughs> without the killing. The only people we were trying to kill were ourselves. So, but, um, you know, it was, um, it was very much a, a really intense growing up, uh, situation for me. Cause I was green. I'd never really been too far out of new Orleans or Louisiana. And all of a sudden I'm playing all over the world and playing drums in this band of lunatics. And it was the eighties and there was drugs and, you know, sex and just lunacy everywhere. And it's like, you know, when it stopped, it was like, what the hell just happened? You know? <laughs> so, and then I decided, I decided that, you know, as powerful as dash was, it was very much a, a kind of a, a negative nihilistic kind of thing. And, you know, that live fast, die hard, live fast, die, uh, die young kind of thing. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something different, you know? And when, so I, I had a vision in my head of a band where I could be up front and nobody would be in the back. It would just be everybody up front. And um, I just wanted to be up to where the fun was, you know, instead of in the back watching some guitar players rear end. And I didn't want to spend my life playing behind some, guy with pretty hair and six pack abs, you know, you know, singing about his pain and all that crap. I wanted to do something that was kind of like gospel church and something that was very celebratory that when people left the release, wasn't something of just negative of, uh, you know, the release was like euphoric, you know, people kind of like combining those elements of the old gospel church shows where, you know, like the African-American communities, they'd go there and they kind of relieve their burdens so they could deal with what was coming up in the week. I wanted to do the same thing in rock and roll, you know, and not do the whole, hey, let's party, raise hell. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, it's fun. You can do those types of things. But I really wanted Cowboy Knot to do something different. I mean, I really, you know, musically, you know, we've never really in reinvented the wheel, but you know, and I, that's not what I was going for. I was going for something that, you know, I wanted, I wanted Cowboy Mouth to do for other people what rock and roll did for me when I was, uh, you know, nerdy little 13 year old and had no idea what the hell I was going to do with my life. And I heard Bo Diddley and, you know, the clash for the first time. It's like, I don't know what the hell these guys are talking about, but I understand that emotion. I understand that need to get it out. And, you know, and, you know, rock and roll like that you know, the old Clash and, you know, the old Bo Diddley, Howlin' Wolf, you know, those old blues records. I mean, they really saved my life because I could really, you know, I was a 13-year-old white kid from the suburbs, but I could, it's, you know, the human emotion, you know, permeates over, over, you know, you know, feeling permeates over whatever, you know, whatever classification people like to rate themselves in as, 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 as people, the soul you know, the soul of man is something that we all relate to. It's the, it's the human soul. It's the human condition. It's the, it's the idea of being alive inside. The idea that, you know, you know, my height, my color, my, the clothes I wear, whatever physically you see is not me. It, you know, it's not, that's not who you are. Who you are is the greater individual inside of you that your soul is trying to express. And that's, you know, that's what I really wanted to put out to an audience, that idea of being alive and celebrating 
celebrating who you are for no other reason than it's who you are. I think Cece and I can definitely say that we found that music at like exactly the right time because we were like going through adolescence. And okay. uh, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, I don't know if I'd be here without uh, your music. Like, well, thank honestly. you. That's, so, really, thank that's you. really kind. I mean, um, I can say the same thing about, you know, Bo Diddley and that first Clash album, you know, mm -hmm. buddy of mine buddy of mine who was like um he was like a big like a kind of a i guess a jock guy you know he was a football player but he was also a really quirky kind of artsy guy but he was much bigger than me he said you take take the first clash album home and listen to it and i was like i don't want to hear that crap he says take that take the album home or i'm gonna kick your fucking ass and i was like oh okay so i took it home and it was just it was just revelatory it was like wow wow and so it's the same thing. It's just kind of, you know, others, other people feel this disconnect, this dislocation inside my psyche. I'm not alone. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt when I listened to yeah. Cowboy Mouth. I'm like, I mean, something I've noticed and for people who haven't been to a Cowboy Mouth show yet um, mm -hmm. is that a lot of the, I don't know if you would call it patter, but there's definitely a lot of, um, dialogue and audience participation in between most songs and it's definitely yeah 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 you know, like well, I'm, the guy, I'm the guy yeah. who's doing all the chattering so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh you know it's very life-affirming but a lot of the yeah. actual songs are quite sad <laughs> I was they are but that's at the, the same dichotomy time, I'm not about they are and and, I, and and i see that you know can you hear me mm -hmm. okay i hear i hear where you're coming from and those were just the songs I was writing because that was the life I was going through. But if you look at a lot of the songs, at least the ones I wrote, um, you know, even like songs where I was going through really tough times, there's always that element of not just wallowing in pity as much as just saying, okay, this happened. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your next step? It's not just poor pitiful me. Oh, everybody feels sorry for me. It's like, what you gonna do? You know, what you know, literally, what you right. gonna do? And then you have you know, to like, um, what you gotta do that maybe you know, like the whole idea of the whole idea of just what's the next step, you know. It's it took me a while to realize that, you know, there I was thirty years into Cowboy Mouth and I'd been getting thousands and thousands of people to scream, let it go, thinking that I was asking them to kind of let go of their troubles. And then it kind of dawned on me one day to realize maybe I've been getting these people <laughs> to scream at me so I could let go of my troubles. Maybe I've been getting them to say, let it go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was thinking, since you're talking about how your experience with Dash Rip Rock led into Cowboy Mouth, like you and Griff for sure, not, I'm not totally sure about Paul, like had a lot of like, um, connections within the alt country scene, you know, like Jason and the Scorchers. Uh, it's interesting I, mean, that yeah, I, I actually played a lot of shows in my old band Dash with uh, Jason and the Scorchers. Oh, cool. And uh, we, we played with those guys a lot. Um, we were friends with the Georgia Satellites when they were coming up, right when that song took off, because they were, you know, they were just another Southeast quote unquote alternative band just slugging it out like we were. You know, and it's it's funny because like, you know, it, you know, Nirvana is such a is such a touchstone, you know, but 
they were just another one of these bands, you know, that were just slugging it out in the punk clubs, just like us, you know, mm -hmm. and they were the ones that happened to pop. And they're great. And they're wonderful. But, you know, it's just like the satellites were the same way. Scorchers. Uh, we did, we did, uh, my old band did a lot of show with the replacements. Oh, wow. Uh, like uh, Cowboy Mouth actually played, I think, one or two shows with Firehose, you know, mm -hmm. Mike Watt and those guys. Mm -hmm. Love that. One of my favorite bands of all time. But we also played a lot of shows with Hootie and the Blowfish. So there you go. You know, I, I, you know, I always find that um, you don't limit yourself. You know, I, I never really tried to define what we were simply because I didn't want to be limited by other people's perceptions, you know. And as much as I love, you know, as much as I love a band like Firehose, The Replacements, that's as much as I love, you know, people like Hootie and the Blowfish and Edwin McCain and Darius, you know. I mean, not, not only because they're personal friends, but I enjoy what they do. I appreciate what they do. And, you know, to be honest with you, those are the guys who gave me the breaks. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, Hootie and the Blowfish, they didn't have to. You know, people made fun of them pretty hard right when they became successful, but they'd been slugging it out for years. They almost broke up a couple of times, you know. They'd been slugging it out for years, and, and when they hit it big, they did something that no other band that we knew of did at the time. You know, they went back to all their friends. When they had the power, they said, okay, you know, we're not going to take this band that our record company wants. And they literally plucked us out of the Southeast music scene we were literally playing uh, Grant Street Dance Hall in Lafayette, Louisiana, with them opening for us. <laughs> and like a month and a half later, playing the Greek Theater in Hollywood, you know, to the, to the cast of Friends and Mr. and Mrs. Bruce Springsteen, you know. It was like literally that quick. And I remember going up to Darius and saying, Darius, what happened? He says, I have no idea what the hell happened. <laughs> I was just singing at a bar in South Carolina a few months ago, you know, so all those bands it was it was kind of the same scene it was that same kind of pushing to get that vibe out there and you know like uh the scorchers the scorchers don't get enough credit because they were just thunderously wonderful thunderously wonderful band but there was a lot of great bands around during that time like a lot of country-esque bands like green on red rank and file who i loved rank and file was just they were great if you can find those that first rank and file album uh, it's still just still wonderful yeah i think i'm gonna have to go do some like crate digging or virtual crate oh, digging after first that. album yeah the first album yeah. rank and file sundown it's, it's just great it's just great i mean yeah i mean i think definitely like a key to the band's longevity has been the fact that the show itself is such an important experience i mean i think like you all have totally spoiled me at least uh in terms of what to expect from like a rock concert uh, well, you know, the truth of the matter is, yeah. the truth of the matter is, it was it was a lot more pragmatic. I, mean, mm -hmm. I hate to sound, I hate to bust any bubble here, mm -hmm. but uh, honestly, the 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 live show was the one thing nobody could steal from me. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, they stole our recordings, they stole my songs, they stole this and that, and it's just, you know, the live show was the one thing nobody could ever take away from me, and is the is the one thing that. I knew that I could do anywhere in any setting, you know, you put me in a crappy club somewhere, put me in front of 50 people, you know, and I, I can, I'll kick the shit out of it. You put me on stage in front of a hundred thousand people, you know, and we will kick the living shit out of it. I mean, it's just, but a lot of that comes with a kind of, uh, you have to pay attention and you have to realize, and this is something that 
I think I understood intuitively early on is that music, whether, you know, whether you're, there's two, there's two things I understood. Number one, whether you're Kiss or you're the Holiday Inn band playing Jimmy Buffett covers on a Tuesday night, you know, millions of people in around the world would give their left arm to be me on my worst night. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to remember that, you know, cause it's, you know, it's not an easy way to make a living, you know, it's not an easy way to make a living. And also, you know, this, the second thing is you have to have an understanding about human nature. Playing music is service industry, whether you're Mick Jagger or whether you're the cover band down the street, it's service industry. You know, the job is to put ashes in seats and sell beer. And so at that point, you have to understand that it's not about you. Cowboy Mouth is not about me. Cowboy Mouth is not about anybody on the stage. It's about the audience. It's about the room. It's about making sure that everybody leaves not just feeling good, but better than they have in a long fucking time, if that's possible, you know? And I'd say, you know, we succeed nine out of ten times, or at least I like to think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is there anything you'd like to say about Open Wide, the new EP? Like, um, you find uh, some really interesting, like, directions in terms of, uh, like, your writing. Well, you know, I mean, look, like I've said before, you know, it's not really reinventing the wheel as much, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's a rock and roll. It's a collection of what I like to think are really powerful rock and roll songs. Um, yeah, they go in all different directions. I mean, like one of my favorite bands uh, of all time was The Replacements. And the thing about it was, is when you put on one of their albums, you never knew what the hell they were going to do. But it was always The Replacements. You know, whether it's like something like I Will Wait. Or no, I Will Dare which is rockabilly or, you know, customer, which is thrash punk or a song like they're blind, which is one of the most beautiful songs I ever heard. You know, you never knew what you were going to get with those guys. And I really liked that. But at the same time, it always sounded like them, you know? Um, And I like that with cowboy mouth in that we're, we don't, you know, there's certain things I guess people sometimes expect, but we can throw curveballs without really, having to redefine or make excuses for ourselves, you know, like, like, Oh, too loose. It's a rock song, but it's different than any other rock song we've done. And we have like the last sad song, which is, uh, which is literally the last sad song I wrote about a relationship. <laughs> I said, this is the last sad song I'm going to write about this because I'm done, you know? And once again, it's like the whole idea of this is the last sad song. You know, it starts off, you know, we, you know, we can't, and at the end of the song, it's like, I won't, you know, mm-hmm. it makes that journey. Um, I don't know. You heard yeah. the EP. Ask about it. Ask me questions, whatever, you know. Yeah, it's fun. You've got a re-recording of um, Jenny Says, but you also re-recorded uh, Kiss the Baby. Uh, which is yeah, fun. well, Jenny Says, we didn't, uh, we didn't know that was going to be on the EP. That was something mm-hmm. we just kind of put on there because we had had a remix version for the 20th anniversary. It was like, okay. And some, uh, I think... One of our guys, one of our business guys said, hey, put it at the end of the EP. It'll be easier for us to work. It's like, okay. Yeah. And I mean, these days, it's not like people listen as as handily. And, you know, if it was like something, like an album, like it used to be 11, 12, 13, 14 songs, you know, where they're supposed to have some sort of a connecting theme, then I wouldn't have done it. But nowadays, it's all streaming. I mean, we don't really get paid for it anyway. So <laughs> it's not like 
unless you're one of the uh, one of the uh, acts that is in the, as I like to call the the musical entertainment industrial complex. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you can pretty much do anything nowadays. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of artists who are just saying we're not going to do albums anymore. We'll just release a couple of songs and then tour on the <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Keep on that, and you know, it makes the whole thing a lot more fluid. It 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 kind of it takes a lot of the pressure off because making an album is is difficult from a lot of angles. You know, having putting together a bunch of songs that you know not only are good but work together. You can have a couple of songs. Um, like we had an album. What was that album called? Um, uh, but, but I think it started with an F. Oh, what was that? Fearless. Oh, yeah. Fearless. And basically, that's two different albums, mm-hmm. you know, two different sessions we did. And while it's got some, some of my things, some of my best songwriting on there, so, you know, a lot of it doesn't really flow together. It's a good album. Don't get me wrong. I think the songs are really good, but as an album, it's kind of disjointed, you know. You have like, uh, you have Belly. You have songs like Belly and Kelly Ripa, but you also have songs like uh, Maureen, um, a song that I really liked, that John really loved of mine called, um, what was it, Outside Looking In, mm-hmm. that just never, it just never, it never got the attention that we thought it deserved simply because it was kind of in the myriad of this weird album. And, and you know, I'm very proud of uh, the songs, I'm very proud of the sessions, but as a whole, when I listen to it, it kind of strikes me as kind of like two albums that didn't really belong together. But then again, it's got the original version of Kiss the Baby, which I think is good, but it's a little cheesy. I, I wanted to redo that as kind of like a more punk rock surf song. We played some shows with Social D back in back in the early days mm-hmm. of the band. I always want I always like that kind of, you know, surfing, you know, California's now not as novelty, but it's more of like, you know, Thunderstruck. Like mm-hmm. we put uh like when I was in Dash Rope Rock, we played a lot of shows with that band, Circle Jerks, and they were just really powerful. Um, you know, so I wanted to kind of do that. And while I like the original version but Kiss the Baby, I like this version better simply because, you know, the first version was kind of like, it was tongue in cheek, but it was like, really tongue in cheek? Are you getting the joke? Are yes. you getting the joke? It's like, no, relax. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, definitely. there's a lot of like uh, background sound effects and like yeah, like hey, waka waka waka. You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> very fuzzy bear. Which you know, there's a charm to that, I guess. But yeah. I really wanted to kind of, you know, because this band now with Brian and Matt, it's so muscular, it's so mm-hmm. punchy, and you know, we've we've been so lucky to have nothing but really, really, really talented players, you know, and. You know, I mean, I can't really say anything bad, nor you know, nor would I, at least I hope I wouldn't, about anybody who's been in the band, you know, on any sort of level in terms of technical. You know, we had, you know, we, we'd have our difficulties and our differences, and, you know, you might be pissed off at this person or that person, but eventually you get over it. But, I mean, we've been so lucky to have really, really talented people in this band, literally from day one. I mean, you know. I didn't think this damn thing would last a month. And here I am 30 years later. It's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, so a lot of your life has been touring and 
obviously that's on pause for right now. Um, if you uh, a lot feel of my, okay a lot talking of about it, what uh, what are your plans uh, moving forward? At least for a lot now. of our life, a lot of our life was touring, but when uh, I was married, um, uh, in the late two uh, thousands. And um, in the in the, in around like 2011, my boy was born, and it coincided with the time that a lot of our contemporaries were getting off the road full time, you know, and just doing the weekend warrior thing. Uh, it was it was a little more difficult for us to do it because we were bound in a business situation that kind of made us tour constantly for a while, and so. Once we broke that off, it was kind of like, oh, hello, life. <laughs> you know, I mean, I never wanted to be one of those guys who wrote songs about, well, I'm hanging in the bus, hanging with the band, you know, pfft, nobody cares. You know, it's just if you can't relate to the people who are listening to you, then what's the point, you know? Um, so, but, um, so when my, when my son was born, that coincided with the time that, you know, we got off the road full time and, uh, you know, a lot of our contemporaries are doing it when there's something new to tour, mm -hmm. like when they were still putting out albums, they do like, you know, a month or two full runs, but you know, there's just no need to do that. I really don't have any desire to play a Tuesday night in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I've done that too many times in my life. You know? Nothing against Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but just trying to slug it out. You know, at, at a certain time, you have to respect yourself and you have to respect the music uh, or else, you know, there's, you know, then you just become a caricature. And I laugh, I laugh loud, loudest enough at myself anyway. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, thanks. So I'm going to open it up to questions from Cece and Joanne. I'm going to unmute you two in case you have any. Love that. I love that you, can, uh, that you can mute your twin sister. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, Joanne, how are you, babe? I'm all right. All right, what's up, guys? You don't want to talk anything? Hey, baby, what are you doing? Good. I remember you guys. I'm telling Aww. you. Yay! <laughs> I remember um, when Easy came out. I think it was Easy. Um, yeah. You guys came to Tower Records, and yeah. me and Rachel were so excited to meet <laughs> you. And um, and you asked us what we wanted to do and we grow up and I said I wanted to be a um, comic book artist and you were like oh yeah I used to cartoon and I think like uh -huh. you yeah. doodled on some of Rachel's CDs mm -hmm. and then you wrote Cowboy Mouth is on a better than Ezra CD yep. so it looks like it says Cowboy <laughs> Mouth is better than Ezra yes. and I still have <laughs> like, <laughs> and we're, like obsessed with that yeah, yeah. that sounds like something <laughs> I would do yeah it was great yeah because I was walking around with like a booklet of CDs because I was like that that kid yeah. You still have, I mean, it's 2020 and Rachel has like five CD towers. So, you know, yeah. the booklet has expanded. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Well, now I'm into vinyl. Yeah. So, it's all right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> That's right. great. That's wonderful. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. So, I actually have a question if um, you guys don't mind. So, I don't know um, if you know of the podcast Reply All. Um, so yeah. it, it's a podcast that's kind of about internet culture. But uh -huh. they recently had um, an episode where someone wrote in saying, I know the lyrics to the song, but I can't find it anywhere. And 
like I'm slowly going insane because I think I'm the only person who knows if this song exists, even though it was on the radio a lot when I was younger. So uh. and even though he wasn't a musician, like he and the podcast managed to completely reconstruct the song. And then somehow after like some crazy Google searching, they like really deep dives and consulting with the music industry, they found out that it was um, a demo um, from an artist that I think Universal had picked up in the 90s. And so like they played the demo in, in a few stations because it failed to, um, you know, I guess get interested, drop the album completely. Okay. Um, and so and the episode sort of just like went into all of um, kind of like the behind the scenes politics of the 90s. Um, yeah like music oh, scene and how like people were just getting signed left and right and then dropped yeah. just as quickly. Oh yeah. It was so, yeah. So I want, so I'm very curious to hear about um, your ex experience, experience with that. Yeah. We were signed. Like I said, that goes back to making every wrong decision that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had this weird thing in the early nineties. We were signed to an indie label. Uh, but we were managed by the same people who we were signed to. And um, we didn't find out till later. There was this gentleman who signed a very early successful nineties boy band who was really hot on us. Right. Huh. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into names cause I just don't need the hassle. But yeah. um, what happened was the guy who we had hired as a manager was supposed to be working in our best interest. He also right. he wanted label. to keep you on the label. Well, what he did was, from what I understand, he approached this guy, this A&R guy, this high-powered A&R guy, because uh, this guy thought that we had a song called God Makes the Rain. That oh, would be love a that song. Thank you. He thought it would be a giant hit, and he wanted to get his hands on it. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. And, um, and so I gave him the number of our manager at the time, and you know, I never heard from the guy again. He just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't savvy enough to, un to ask questions, you know. Mm -hmm. I just asked the guy who was handling us at the time. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, I don't know. Never heard from him. You know, <laughs> talk to him. He never talked to him. He never came back. It's like, oh, well, say la vie. And so the, what I found out later was, was this, uh, this manager who's supposed to be working, out, working on our best interest was using us as a kind of a way because we, you know, we had a pretty hot thing going. And, and it kind of happened really, really fast. And um, not that we didn't work. We worked our butts off. But, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we gained markets really, really fast. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so apparently what the guy was doing was he was approaching, he approached this label guy uh, saying, okay, you want Cowboy Mouth, you're going to sign all the other bands on my roster, plus I want a million dollars to start my label. Mm -hmm. And you know, naturally the guy says, <laughs> no, see ya. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we weren't, we weren't smart or savvy enough to say, you know, this guy is screwing us, but you know, he threw a great party. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very new Orleans thing. You know, this guy, he threw a great party, you know, I was like, okay, well, and so it took us a while to kind of get away from that situation. Um, and we, we had this manager who we've since re-signed with, mm -hmm regotten with a guy named Stephen Klein. I knew him because um, he was uh, he was a booking agent in the Southeast and he and I had done a demo. I, no, I'd actually done an album for this band called Dead Eye Dick, 
who were friends of mine and Paul's and uh, John's. Uh, Caleb actually was my first friend in high school. I knew him years mm-hmm. before. But uh, he, he was like a little guy in the music scene, really, really talented guy. Very cerebral character, you know, which was very unusual. Uh, but, um, you know, and they had a little thing going, but their songs were really good. And they used to, uh, they would do like this Monday night acoustic night where a lot of musicians were to get together in New Orleans. You know, a lot of the, like the rock musicians would get together in New Orleans. It's a place called the Howlin' Wolf. Mm-hmm. which at the time was in Metairie before it moved to uh, uh, New Orleans, before it moved to the warehouse now district. Now it's like, uh, yeah, downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Now it's downtown, but uh, it used to be in the suburbs. Anyway, we'd get together, listen to each other's songs, hang out, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so uh, what happened was, uh, you know, I knew Caleb from years back, and um, John and Paul had really taken them – really under their wing and I liked them a lot too. And, you know, I had, uh, I'd done some producing work. I forgot what I did. I'd done some producing stuff that they heard that they liked. And I was trying to get into the whole producing thing. And, um, and, you know, I knew a guy who ran a small studio in bell chase, which is very off the beaten path in new Orleans, like on the other side of the river, um, you know, like crawfish capital of the world, but he was just this great guy. Great guy. He, his name is Rick Hart. He ran this uh, little um, 24-track digital ADAT studio. And he was like uh, you know, born-again Christian. He mostly did Christian hmm. music. But, and he wasn't a snob or a pain in the ass about it at all. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I uh, you know, these guys, you know, they wanted to do – you know, an album, and I knew that song, the uh, the New Age, they had this song called New Age Girl that was very, it was very silly, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it was really smart, it was really funny, and it was catchy as hell. And all their songs were really catchy, but that one was really, you know, it stood out. Mm-hmm. And so, so I did an album with these guys pretty much for chunk change, and we recorded the whole album in like three and a half days. Mm-hmm. And then they went and got a painting job to pay for the studio and stuff like that, you know, you know, but, uh, so this thing, they just, they put out five songs on, on a cassette and Steven Klein had heard it, picked them up. And then, you know, through like some contacts he had at record labels, all of a sudden this thing exploded. I mean, this thing exploded. And so, so there, they were this little band who were friends of ours all of a sudden, you know, getting all this attention and we're kind of like, that's great for you guys. Um, what yeah, the hell what about, about us? us? Yeah. <laughs> what about, you know, and we weren't the only bands that felt that way. I talked to Kevin Griffin about it, you know, mm-hmm. before their thing took off and it was very frustrating just sitting around waiting because it was very much, you were looking to kind of get yourself signed up because that kind of hooked you into the promotion world, everything mm-hmm. you wanted, everything was so regimented. It's very different than it was, mm-hmm. but but so, um, so what happened was Klein uh, started handling us, and he did, a, he did a really good job, but we were all just kind of feeling our way through. But, you know, Cowboy Mouth, initially, we had some personality issues that, you know, that were very, uh, you know, the, the more success you get in any business, you know, um, the more, how can I put this? Um. What's an easy way to put it? I guess like your uh, ego is kind of 
not, not, more not just, involved not with just, it in not a just way. That. The, the more success, the bigger the success, the bigger the problems. Mm-hmm. Everything gets, everything gets um, exaggerated. So mm-hmm. like say you have a person who likes to have a couple of beers after the show when you're, when you're a little nobody band, you know, then it becomes mm-hmm. the guy whose heroin addiction can bring down the million dollar a year corporation, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And not like heroin or anything like that. I'm using that right. as a, uh, I'm using that as a, uh, an example. Uh, an, an example. Yeah, we didn't mm-hmm. have anything like that. But, you know, we had our share of uh, issues that were going there, plus ego and stuff. You know, we, we had a guy who is, is, is a matter of him finding his own way, you know, which he needed to do, you know. And it was frustrating for me because I understood at some point that the band wasn't going to get to where I'd hoped because of this conflict that existed mm-hmm. within the band. And that it wasn't going to be able to move forward until that conflict was either resolved or, you know, ended, you know, mm-hmm. through, through this person leaving. And, you know, I, as I allowed that, that thought to permeate me, permeate my psyche, I allowed myself to kind of fall into a, a haze of kind of, you know, part-time alcoholism, you know, oh, it's like no. trying, to, yeah. trying to find all the highs that everybody else seemed to be enjoying. Why am I not? I'm sitting here focused on this thing, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. Mm. Here I am. I've had a hit record. I don't have any money. You know, um, you know, my band has played this. We've done this. We've done this. We've done this. And we're still having to struggle. And I don't even know if this thing's going to stay be together because there's all this personality shit. It's just it gotten to a point where I burned out and I got to a point where I let that shit get to me as opposed to what I learned later of like being able to use your mental and emotional clarity to achieve the results you want in life by focusing on what you want as, as opposed to focusing on what you don't want. You know, I played, you know, unfortunately I found myself and, you know, I had some friends call me on it playing victim. And it was like, you know, that was what I was accusing this other guy of, you know, it was like, you know, the whole weird kind of narcissistic uh, victim victor thing that they did, you know, and this was all exacerbated by the success we achieved. You know, it was just, you know, there's just two guys in a bar, you know, say, Hey, fuck you. See you, whatever. Pain in the ass. But then you're dealing with, you know, lots of money on the table, putting, put, being able to pay rent, being able to make a living, doing what you love, having basically what you thought all your dreams were come true but still be threatened by this conflict. You know, it was, it was a lot to, it was a lot emotionally and psychologically to deal with. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I allowed myself to fall into some of the traps, not, not as bad as the traps. I mean, I had, you know, when Lane Staley was on the cover of Rolling Stone, I had uh, the, the head of our promotion at the time, the label, you know, Make a joke. <laughs> she would be fun. she would be great if you developed a heroin problem. Ha ha ha! It's like ha ha ha! Yeah, you know they tell you these things and you know they see if you take the bait. You know, like it's not gonna fucking happen, lady. But you know, it's um instead of resolving the conflict, instead of trying to say, hey, let's figure out how we can either make this work and move forward, or we we go our separate ways. You know, I. I dug in was just, was just, I didn't really deal with it as, as I would have dealt with it now, but that's part of learning. That's life. 
And the truth of the matter is, is I can sit, you know, I can sit here and grouse about cowboy mouth, not reaching the levels that I'd hoped we had, you know, that I saw other friends, you know, friends do like matchbox and Hootie and all those guys. But, you know, also I saw those guys fall from those spots and I saw them all have real problems dealing with, you know, the fall from grace. And, you know, I also, I, I don't know that I would have handled getting to those levels as well as I, as I would have once thought I would, I really don't think I would have handled it well and I might not have survived it. You know, one of the guys who used to play in the band, he wrote me an email just about five years ago. We were resolving some business stuff and he said, you know, yeah, I guess we always thought, you know, we'd be like Hootie sitting there, you know, relaxing on the, you know, spending, you know, being able to spend their money and just relax you know, living the good life. And I wrote him back and said, dude, every one of those guys to, to a man lost their family. They've all suffered. You know, they've suffered badly. You know, that, and at the time I was still married to my first wife. It's like, it's not worth it to me. It's just not worth it to me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to do that. You know, so if that's the price, if that's what it takes to do to achieve that, I'm not going to do it. I think there was a period you know, in the late after Katrina, a few years where I was just kind of adrift. I didn't really know what to do. And then I read this really great book by Jerry Lewis called Dean and Me. It's about him and Dean Martin. I read this, I read this book and, you know, you're a youngster, so you may not have any idea. You knew who Jerry Lewis no, is, right? No, I know. Yeah, totally. You know who Jerry Lewis is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he was, uh, you know who Dean Martin is, right? Yes. Okay. Was, you know, whatever. Well, they, uh, they, they actually made their name in show business as a team because they were both kind of, you know, nowhere acts going nowhere. And they discovered kind of lightning in a bottle. You know, the story is that they were booked to play some small town, some small, you know, nickel and dime joint, uh, in Jersey on the shore uh, you know, as separate acts, you know, Dean was like a singer who was okay. You know, he was, he was actually a great singer, but you know, he's, you know, you know, at the time, those types of singers were a dime a dozen. And Jerry Lewis was this guy who did this weird kind of act where he would mime to records, you know, but it was like very vaudeville esque and neither one of them was going anywhere. And Jerry had told this club owner that he knew Dean and liked Dean and that they did an act together, just made it up. So the club would book them so they would make money. So they went out and did their regular action. The club owner who was, you know, a mafioso <laughs> came and said, Hey, you told me you guys do something. You guys do stuff together. It's like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, listen, you're going to do something. You're going to do an act together or else you're going to be dead. <laughs> it's like he threatened to kill him. So him and Dean Martin, they made a quick set list and what they did was they just riffed off of each other for two hours. They just riffed off each other. And when I say riffing off each other, they just, they told each other jokes. They just went for it. They, you know, once again, diving on the high, one, on the high wire without a net, you know, cause it was like, they better do something. They better do their best or else, you know, they won't be here tomorrow. And so, and you know, the 20 people in the club loved it. And then the next night, 
there were 200 people in the club. And three nights later, there were lines around the block. And within a month, they were the hottest act in show business. This is before Elvis Presley, after Sinatra, before Presley. And the 10-year gap, they were the biggest thing in show business, you know? And the thing about it, and the thing about what they did, the thing about what Jerry Lewis said was, in the book, he's like, the only thing we did was we tried to make each other laugh. And that's all we did. We had these bits, we did it, but we would constantly riff, we would constantly mess with each other, we'd constantly throw each other off guard, just trying to make each other laugh. That's all we did. And if you look at the footage, especially the nightclub footage or the TV footage, that's what they do. It's just these two lunatics just trying to make each other laugh. And that was the secret of it. And I read that and I was like, wow, that's really something. Because Cowboy Mouth had gotten into a thing where it was just debt and grind and grind and debt. And then, you know, Katrina happened. And then I, there I was really kind of talking about enjoying life. But for a while, it really wasn't. I was like trying to keep this thing going so I wouldn't be swallowed up in a sea of bankruptcy. You know? And then, you know, we, you know, we had lost that old manager who'd believed in us. Uh, we'd gone through like two major labels, a bunch of indie labels, and it was just sinking. And it was just, you know, we were working, but it was just a grind. I mean, it was literally like you'd play like you'd go out on two or three month tours just to be able to make the rent, you know, have a week off and then go back out. It was just go, 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 you know. And I realized at that point when I was reading that book, I said, I really st I stopped enjoying this. Mm -hmm. I really stopped enjoying you know, it, was, it wasn't something I got to do. It was something I had to do, you know, and then I had to, I taught myself how to relearn to enjoy it. What, what about it did I enjoy? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't really focus on the crowd aspect of it because, you know, most nights we drew really well, but there were some nights when there was nobody there and it sucked, you know, and okay. And then, so, and if it would be about, you know, like women or female adoration or whatever you're looking for, I was like, Okay, on the one hand, you know, if you're young and, and stupid and you don't know how life works, you can take that you can take that seriously. But you know, with time and experience you realize that, you know, you know, that it, there's not a lot of value in that long term, if really ever, you know. And so it's like, okay, what do I enjoy about this? What do I really enjoy? And then I realized I had I, I brought it down to like the element of me holding a drumstick and the feeling of just hitting the snare drum, just hitting it. That just, that really just gave me such a, a visceral energetic joy. And I really had to find the basic elements of what I really loved about what I was doing. And then that, what that would do is that would spread into playing the whole song and then playing the next song. And then singing, getting that feeling out of singing, then talking to the audience. And then I realized I really did love it. I had to relearn how to love it. And then, and then instead of sitting there trying to struggle to keep the audience's attention, because they were there, they were giving me their attention anyway. There's no need to struggle. I learned how to relax and I learned how to just have fun with it. And I learned, you know, just to kind of, I'd spend more time now trying to make Brian, Matt, and John laugh on stage or trying to make myself laugh on stage than anything mm -hmm. because if we're having a great time and if that you know 
if we're having a great time, the audience is going to have a great time. What we do is qualitative enough. What we do is strong enough. You know, we can deviate from it, you know, and, you know, as I've said many times, I don't mind looking like a fool. I have no problem with that. You know, I know my value. I know what I bring to the table, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, I also know what I don't, you know, it's like, I understand that, you know, I have an ability. I understand that some people would say I have a gift and I'm very fortunate for it, but I also work my ass off for it too. (laughs) And And at the end of the day, I re- it really took me a long time to learn how to re-love to do this thing again. And once I realized that, it was like, oh, okay. Then, you know, I'm having more, I've had more fun realistically in the past 10 years than I've ever had playing mm-hmm. music. I mean, you know, apart from my first marriage falling apart and all that stuff, that was, <laughs> that sucked. Yeah, <laughs> that, I bet. That was, that was hell on earth. But I was able to use the band as, as not a panacea, but as a way to kind of basically everything that everybody told me that they'd gotten out of the band, you know, in terms of life affirming things or using the band, you know, using one of our songs or one of our shows, in a as, as, as a catalyst in, in a vulnerable time in their lives, I was able to do the same thing. It was like, Oh, okay. I see. I see how this works. Uh, we were flying out of Minneapolis or something like that. And we were on a plane and some guy walks, walks up to me and says, Hey man, you, you got my kid on stage a couple of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. I just wanted to say thank you. And here I was in Minneapolis. I mean, you know, we do well, but you know, this, yeah. you know, this was like out far away from, you know, where we normally, just, Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. You know, and I could tell he wanted to say more, but I was kind of not in the headspace to kind of take it because I was still mm-hmm. grinding on, being in hell and um and then right before the plane took off i was in the back he was in the front he got up walked walked over to the walked over to me walked to the back of the plane he said hey i just want to tell you i've been in recovery for 180 days and you know i believe was the song that got me through that so thank you for saving my life and thank you for saving my family wow that's such a great thing to hear yeah, and he gave me he gave me a hug, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, dude, you don't know how bad I need to hear that. And you know, when I talk about it, still, it really, mm-hmm. it really chokes me up. Simply because that was a real pivotal moment for me. Every it turned everything around for me. I mean, I still went through a lot of crap, and you know, you know, being divorced with kids, you know, sucks. But you know, it's, you know, you know, it's it 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 let me know in that moment that you know what I was doing, what we were doing was something that a lot of people got a lot out of. And it's, you know, it might be hard to think that, you know, it would be obvious, but it's not, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, you just, you don't understand that you don't understand that what you do, people take a lot of personal value out of and use it in their own lives. And that's honestly, that's the main reason I wanted to do, rock and roll to begin with once again you know it saved my life when i was a kid and i just wanted to spread that feeling you know so there you go it's kind of full circle but there you go. <laughs> thanks uh joanne is there anything you want to add i know you've been very patiently <laughs> i was i was gonna say you know i really appreciate all of the hard work that you guys did put in i know it wasn't great for you but you know you came to me in a time that was very hard for me and um 
you know, the music really did make a big difference for me. <coughs> well, so sad about me was just like a really um, strong kind of, of message for me at that time. Um, good. Well, thank but, you. But you know, you know, Katie's still, um, she's seven now and she still picks up drumsticks every here and again. And she like, you know, clacks them together. He's like, give me some rhythm. So, <laughs> so I hope sometime, you know, in the future, I'll be able to bring her to a, a kind of outdoor summer kind of thing. Fresh victims from my ever growing army of the undead. Oh yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people bringing their kids, uh, you know, and that's great, you know, because it's, uh, you know, they get the vibe, they get the feel, kids enjoy it. I mean, obviously it inspires a new generation of fans, but it becomes more of a family thing. It becomes like, uh, it becomes like a, a touchstone for a family, you know, and that's, you know, things like that. There's so few of the, those these days, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I told my parents that we were going to be talking with you, they're very excited. And oh, say, okay. Hey. Tell them I said hello. <laughs> yeah. How are they doing? Where are they living now? They're good. They're, we're all still in, in the city. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Great. Well, tell them I said, hey, please. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen them in like 20 freaking years. Yeah. Cause uh, that we got old enough. They didn't have to take us to the shows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but there's one night, I think it was either the night of my grandma's funeral or the night she actually died that my dad, like, his, it was his mom and he took us because he wanted to go. Oh. And we had been looking forward to going. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think there are a lot of ways, I mean, statistically, right, that you've touched people's lives. So I hope at some point you feel everything was worth it. You know, it was, uh, I used to wonder about that. And then... Um... It's funny you say that because I was just thinking this the other day. You know, I remember uh, during the time of um, Katrina, I'd come up with that song, The Avenue, right? And I knew, it was, I, re- I knew it was special. I knew this was something really special. And then, you know, it, it's weird because with this whole COVID-19 thing that's going on, a lot of New Orleanians were talking about it amongst themselves saying, this feels like Katrina, except without the flooding. You know, the whole isolation, the whole... You don't know what the hell's going to happen type of thing. It's very, you know, it's like, it's everything that like New Orleanians felt, but obviously around the world and obviously it's, you know, it's much worse. People are dying and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to do, you know, apples and oranges or comparative pity stories or anything. That what I'm saying is like, you know, people are just very uncertain. And I remember when I wrote that song, The Avenue, and it came out, and it had such a just a profound effect. If you ever want to hear, is for a piece of history, there's a live version of the Avenue that came out before the album came out. We were the first band to play the New Orleans House of Blues, the first band to headline. They opened up, and we were the first headline. And they, um, a friend of mine recorded. It's a pretty crude bootleg recording, but. Um, uh, it was like the November after Katrina. Katrina was in August, so this was like late November. And we opened up with The Avenue, a song we had never played before. I'm wrong. We played it at a festival in New Orleans, but it was mostly out-of-towners at that festival. It was like a, the Voodoo Fest in September. But we played it in New Orleans, and everybody had made their way back. It was a hometown crowd. And if you can find it on YouTube. You saw like Cowboy Mouth, The Avenue, first time or something like that. And you hear the audience literally viscerally reacting 
to every single lyric and, you know, about how we all felt about how everybody was affected by it, about, you know, worrying about things and, you know, all that type of stuff. And then the chorus would come in, but then the marching bands were rolling. You hear people just going berserk. It was really, I remember thinking that night, you know, it's like, okay, if all the shit we've been through, everything we've been through, everything was just to get us to this moment to get, to maybe help these people kind of express their grief and maybe give them an impetus to kind of take that first step forward past it, then all of it's been worth it. It's been worth it. So if, if it's, if all the bullshit, all the pain, all the grind, you know, and all the, all the fun times too. But you know, if, 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 if we would, if we did this just to make this sure this moment happened, it's totally worth it. Completely fucking worth it. So, and then later on kind of relearning how to fall in love with it and getting to the point where I like to think I am now of just really finding real, real, real deep joy, you know, with it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been worth it. It's been worth it. It's good. Yeah. I think maybe uh, I'll play us out on the Avenue when I get the podcast uh, edited. Oh, no, yeah. you're so nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I th- uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks everyone on here for your patience with, uh, you know, the Zoom expiring and then starting over again. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Just, yeah. just chop it up. Chop it up how you want to see. I, I can be very wordy. <laughs> I know when, when I talk about my band, I can pontificate a lot. And just so, just you know, chop it up. No, yeah. no worries. I like the, yeah, just, we're gonna just, see how much of this actually got saved, so it's gonna have to be chopped <laughs> up no matter what. Well, I mean, you know, you know where I am, so I mean, that's true. Uh, I'm around tonight, and I've got most of tomorrow off. T- I, I'm gonna try to do a, a Facebook Live book reading oh, uh, during the day tomorrow for my children's book, so that should be entertaining. Yeah, and uh, but you know. You know, you just text me. If you need okay. me to fill in some holes, I'll be glad to. Okay, yes. Now I have your number. I feel very right. yeah. cool. I'm easy. I'm <laughs> easy. 20 years. <laughs> I'm easy. Better late than never. That's really why I started the podcast. Nice. So nice hearing you slam this down. I quit. Yeah. I know where the motherfucker lives. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see y'all. I'm glad everyone is well. Likewise. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you, Take Fred. Care, you have a beautiful singing voice. So. Yeah. Oh, I thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Take the marching bands. We are wrong. <laughs> see ya. Uh, it's, it's been a real comfort. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. This time I'm walking to New
beats hard and heavy There's so much more to say But I'm silent for now I'm lost deep in the emotions that hit me Just like an ocean that seems so refreshing once But it's not for now Because the marching bands will roll I'll find my city in my soul Because I plan on growing old on the avenues Best friends, house lies beneath the teardrops God has bequeathed to add to the pool of rage That'll flow for now I never thought I would see in my lifetime In my memory But fate has a way to show Who's the boss for now because the marching bands will roll I'll find my city in my soul Because I plan on growing old on the avenues And the parades will ride again I'll see my family and my friends Because this will not be the end of the avenues It's so hard to take this hurt and hide it on the shelf It's just cause I never want to be from somewhere else Deep in my darkest hour standing Alone in the shower I let my emotions go for now Because the marching bands will roll I'll find my city in my soul Because I plan on growing old on the avenues And the parades will ride again I'll see my family and my friends Because this will not be the end of the avenues And all the marching bands will roll I live my city in my soul Because there's nowhere else I want to go But the avenues On the avenues All original content is copyright Adobe and Teardrops. All original music is copywritten by their respective artists.